The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, it's Tony Macia with The Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to The Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about The Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today's podcast is part of a special series we're doing in which we interview winners of the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Awards. The recipients are people ages 40 and up who are making a big difference in the Charlotte area, people who saw a need and took action, whether it's in business, the nonprofit world, education, or another field. The winners are chosen by an impartial panel of independent judges. We accept nominations in January and celebrate the winners in an in-person event in April. You can find out more about all of that at ledger40over40.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn. Steve's a good guy. And in his day job, he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. Enjoy. Welcome to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. I'm Steve Dunn, and I'm joined today by Charles Thomas, the Charlotte Program Director of the Knight Foundation. Welcome, Charles. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. Charles, you are a native Charlottean. Am I right about that? Depends on how you define native. I've been here since I was six years old. My grandfather was born in Charlotte, but I consider myself from Charlotte. Where were you before you moved to Charlotte when you were six? I was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So, yeah, six years there and then moved here in 1980. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, that says you weren't born and raised, but I think it counts as native. I've been, I've, I'm going to take the native. Yeah, I sure. Take it. I own it. You know, I don't own Spartanburg, I own Charlotte. Certainly your formative years. We're That's right. Right here in Charlotte. You're a graduate of East Mech High School and you've been around long enough then to have observed Charlotte change a lot over the years. What, what are your key observations about Charlotte's changes since, since you first got here or since you were a younger person? Oh man, Charlotte has grown tremendously. It has grown rapidly. So the key probably for when I was a kid is like downtown, you know? So not that I traveled downtown a lot, but I moved back to Charlotte after college in my 20s and to see where it was then in the late 90s and where it is now and to have a like thriving uptown culture is amazing and is indicative of the growth of the whole city. So, I mean, a city of growth, I think, and a city of opportunity. Well, you're a big part of Charlotte's growth and opportunity through your work as program director of the Knight Foundation. The Knight Foundation is a, well, why don't you tell me, what is the Knight Foundation? What does it do? And what do you do? Sure. So the Knight Foundation, the the official name is the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. It is a national foundation based out of Miami. Our roots are in journalism. So formerly a newspaper company owned the Charlotte Observer. And the Knight Brothers own newspapers in 26 cities around the country. And so that's where we do most of our investments. Our, Our mission is to foster more informed and engaged communities. And we do so by investing in journalism, arts, and again, in the cities that the Knight newspapers were located. So Charlotte is one of those cities. And here I work in what's called the communities program. Our focus is in a neighborhood around Johnson C. Smith University called the Historic West End or the Beatty's Ford Road Corridor. And it's about supporting residents participating and benefiting from the development of their district. So with an eye towards advancing economic mobility, which folks I think are aware Charlotte scored 50 at the very bottom as it relates to economic mobility 
in a report done many years ago. And so our goal is to advance economic mobility and to make sure that, you know, Charlatans, native Charlatans, folks that have been here are actually benefiting from the rapid growth of our city. So you've been focused on the historic West End neighborhood and you've been engaged in that project. This has been going on several years now, right? Yeah. So we've Knight Foundation's been investing in the West End since twenty fifteen. I came on board at night in twenty sixteen, so six to seven years. What do those investments look like and what difference is it making in the lives of the people who are there? We invest in three primary areas. So we invest in supporting the vision of the corridor. So you know, funding, you know, master plans and vision plans that involve the whole community contributing what they want to see in the district. We also fund building the capacity of residents and resident-led organizations in the corridor. So for example, one that the Westside Community Land Trust, the first land trust in Charlotte that's building affordable housing, started in a neighbor's house uh, and is like a, a third to two thirds of the board are residents from the West End. Another organization that we fund, the Historic Western Partners, that does small business development, economic development. And another example is For the Struggle, which works with seniors and elders in the community. So they do critical home repair and they help seniors to keep their homes, stay in their homes. So the second category is funding the resident capacity to participate in the development of the corridor. And then the third area is to fund bringing amenities into the corridor. So we, even during COVID, though the organizations that I named we're working hard to not only, you know, fight the the health challenge in the neighborhood, but to continue the work. And so in 2020, in 2020, 2021, we were able to open up a new ice cream parlor, Rita's Ice Cream, Jet's Pizza. JP Morgan Chase has opened a branch at the intersection of, of Babies Ford LaSalle, where unfortunately during the pandemic, there was like a mass shooting in 2020. And then Archive CLT the best coffee shop in Charlotte and is is on the corridor now. The majority of those businesses are black owned, black or Latinx owned, and a good portion of them are residents. And so those are a few examples. So over $5 million of economic development, which, you know, from a Charlotte perspective is not much, but from a West End perspective, we're talking about three new commercial buildings that were underutilized spaces that are now activated. And then the last piece that you'll see in the corridor, if you were to drive now than when we started, is like new parks and public spaces. So across from Johnson C. Smith University, there's a new splash pad where kids can, you know, play in the waters on hot summer days, or they can go grab a, while they're eating pizza, they have a place to sit. Students have a place to hang out. And then further up the corridor, we've got a new couple other public spaces. One was help was built by the city in Lowe's. So we're seeing murals in the, you drive through the West End, you're seeing all this wonderful art that's recognizing the history and culture of the corridor. And one day, knock on wood, we'll have the new, the Excelsior Club back, which some of your listeners may know, the historic Excelsior Club, black founded jazz club was the center of social and political life in the historic West End, has been on disrepair. And we're hoping it's been purchased and we'd like to see it get rebuilt and that we'll see something like a boutique hotel and a jazz club on the bottom. So the West End is very much on the rise. And again, the goal is that the development occurs in a way that the residents that have been there, the historic residents, the black residents, feel that they're benefiting and that the corridor is still theirs and that when they walk the corridor, it looks and feels like their community. Because when you talk to the elders there and you talk about West Charlotte High School, you're talking about such a tremendous history and such a love of community. And we're trying to keep that, we're trying to support that spirit in the West End. And we hope 
that the work that we're doing there is a model for how Charlotte develops in other corridors that have been disinvested in. So that, again, not only is the West End gentrifying, but the whole city of Charlotte is gentrifying, right? And so I think folks will understand that there's so much change happening. The question becomes, does the change include you? Are you benefiting from the change? And that's a real tension for our city. It sounds like one of the keys is getting residents involved, the people who are there now. And so that development is occurring sort of with them and alongside them and with and as part of them. How do you how do you go about engaging the residents in these projects and, and getting them on board? So, yeah, so that is the key. So Knight Foundation funding is focused on supporting residents being at the center of the work that we do. So whether we're funding arts, whether we're funding like smart cities work and technology, it's about how do we do it in a way that residents feel they're a part and benefiting. That's how you create attachment. That's how you create engagement in a community. So the way that we approach it is we find, you know, it's, it, I'll, I'll say that the, the work I would say is not perfect in that you don't have 100% of residents participating in, in the work. There will always be those who will say, I didn't know about that. But what we do is we find those leaders, those folks who, you know, are doing the work. They were doing the work whether they're paid or not. So Historic Western Partners, Jatanya Adams, who I think would be a great 40 if she's not already. You can nominate. All right. Oh, good. I'm, I'm officially nominating Jatanya Adams. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. There's a form you fill out. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll, we'll get get the, I'll, I'll get the form. <laughs> All right. Uh, and uh, she's been featured in other publications who who have greats. And Jatanya Adams, Adams is a prime example. She lived in a neighborhood, had a couple of nonprofit jobs, but her nighttime work or her kind of side hustle was to be the neighborhood president was to you know help you know clean up areas of the community to understand the history of the community to understand what the businesses need and so upon kind of observing and hearing her advocacy for the neighborhood her passion the question was like what if she was getting paid full time to do that work and so we made a grant that helped her organization historic western partners to hire her full time as executive director in another organization, the Westside Community Land Trust, same thing. We made a, a small grant, $30,000, not that much money, for them to hire their first executive director part-time. And Therese Blackman is amazing, who has taken on affordable housing is not an easy, if you're going to be a developer, affordable housing is like the one of the you know most challenging aspects. And through Therese's leadership, She's able to take in an organization that was like $100,000 budget that's now managing multi-million dollar projects. They're building 120 affordable rental units for seniors in the neighborhood. And so the, the strategy is to find those residents that are active, that are you know, seeking to do the work, you know, or a group of residents that are on the board like they did with the land trust and saying, hey, we're going to give you some money. You go find the person that you want to work for your organization. You hire these vendors. So for the struggle, Alicia Brown, civil rights attorney, moved into the neighborhood and had a vision for working with seniors. We gave them money to do canvassing, to, to talk to seniors, to understand what they needed. And then she you know, kept at the work. And now she just recently left her law practice to work full-time as executive director. We just made a grant to them to do critical home repair. So she contracts out with Black-owned construction companies and repair and renovation companies. And she, she builds a network of folks that are from the neighborhood, familiar with the neighborhood. But again, this is someone that lives in the neighborhood that's choosing people that, you know, look like them, that are, you know, represent who they are. 
so that when they go and they knock on the door of a senior, a senior feels safe, they feel trusted. And so that we feel is the way to, you know, it, residents are closest to the problem. You know, if we can, in, in all of philanthropy, if we can center those who are most impacted by the problem or closest to it and give them the resources to solve that problem or to work on that problem, we build trust and we build innovative ideas that really have the impact that we're seeking versus being an outsider, hiring outside groups. We've had that experience and those experiences uh, usually do not have the, the intended impact. And so it's, it's been a wonderful aspect of the work. I've been real thankful with Knight Foundation and having this, this core value and being very focused on making sure that residents are centered and benefiting or working towards the benefit of the development of, of their district or, or their community. I'd love to talk about the Excelsior Club. Mm, sure. This is a, it's over on Beatty's Ford Road. Right. Correct. This uh -huh. is near near the old West Charlotte, near the what is currently Northwest School of the Arts. And That's right. It's it's a, a building. It's vacant now, but it's you can tell from looking at it that it's it's imposing. You know, it's something. You can tell it's something. Uh, mm -hmm. Back in the day, describe the Excelsior Club sort of in its heyday, like at its height. What was it all about? So in its heyday, it was founded by a member of the community, and in its heyday, it was the place where you would go to, you know, socialize, to have a drink, to listen to some great music, to take a date, you know, back in the days of where the black community had few options, where they could feel safe, where they could, you know, interact with each other. So it has a storied history, you know, kind of pre-civil rights, and then on kind of closer to our time and era, it's got, a, you know, you know, Bill Clinton went through the Excelsior Club as he was campaigning. So all of our local politicians go to the Excelsior Club. It's, it's, so it's one of those places that is the gathering place for the black community in the west side of Charlotte, where you can, again, have good food, have good music. So it was a key institution to the history of the West End. And we feel that it's a key institution to the future of the West End, because right now we're you know, what's, what's a great opportunity is to, to think of the West End as a destination of African-American culture in Charlotte. So with the Excelsior Club, you know, we're thinking about the idea of having a premier jazz club in Charlotte that's based in the West End. And you have people coming, visiting the West End, you know, investing or bringing their dollars into the corridor, having people who are hired from the corridor to the Excelsior Club. We're talking about creating some economic synergies that Again, residents feel that they're a part of. And when you go to the Excelsior Club, you're seeing people who live in the neighborhood that are there, not just you know folks that are just coming in and you know, like tourists are coming in and leaving. But you have people, that's the vision that I have for it, is that on the front row, you've got reserve seats for West End folks and that you have kind of a history display, an art gallery that continues to maintain the, the, the history and remembers the stories of the significance of the Excelsior in the West End. Now, the knock on Charlotte in some ways is that in the past, there's been a tendency sometimes to sort of do away with historical buildings. Like there's a what's interesting about the Excelsior Club is it's a physical building. It's been there a long time. It's got a history of its own and it's still there. It's not gone. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other aspects of Charlotte's history that have been redeveloped and turned into something new. And so here, what I'm hearing you say is there's an opportunity to take this physical space that has played such an important role in Charlotte and transform it without tearing it down and starting over. But 
there's got to be some challenges associated with it, right? I mean, that's and that's why I gather organizations like the, the Knight Foundation are there is to sort of step in and bridge bridge whatever gap exists when, in terms of financing and stuff like that. I'm curious about the nuts and bolts of how that happens. Like, what? How does your work on behalf of the Knight Foundation intersect with what's going to happen? Because you can't do it all yourself either, right? No, you can't. The hardest part about this job is I used to be, I guess, what you would call an operator. I used to run a nonprofit. So I was used to doing the things themselves, myself. And so now with the Knight Foundation, we have funding. So it's the power of the dollar to make strategic investments. And so in the Excelsior Club case, we made an investment with the city, the county, Foundation for the Carolinas to basically close the gap on the cost of acquiring Excelsior Club. There was a a gentleman from California who is a developer who has a history. He's, he's a white developer, white man, but he has a history of building you know, African-American projects and he loves preserving spaces. So we had a chance to work with him. He was able to acquire the property, but he had a gap. And in having that gap, what I thought was significant is that it was, I, I was, I was kind of glad. Sometimes we don't want there to be gaps and you fill it with philanthropy, but I was glad in this case because it means that we our dollars which represents the community and like the city and the county which represents the community is invested in this project so that means there's going to be a space for the community in this project we are investors and so we so that's just an example of how we may you know use philanthropic dollars to to make sure that again that residents are participating in our part of the development of a project and influencing it and so and then as you said this was a unique project because you know, typically Charlotte tears down old buildings. This one is a challenge because it's very dilapidated. Like if you go in there, it's gutted on, you know, people have ripped out the cop copper and all that. So more than likely it will be a facade of the original. It will not, as we can't, we're not going to be able to keep the full structure of it because it's just not safe, but we're going to keep, we're definitely going to have the spirit. And we're, gonna, we're right in the same location of where the original Excelsior was. Which the sign is still there, right? Sign, the we'll sign the looks sign good. Is, yeah. And, you know, and so, so I'm just, I'm just really looking, that's, you know, the big win. If we can, we have some structural challenges that, that the developer is working through. There's not enough parking around in the space. So we're hoping we can partner. So this is again, another example of what we've invested in. We've invested in a, a plan called the Oaklawn Forward Plan. So that area is called Oaklawn. And we're Historic Western Partners, along with Shook Kelly and neighboring concepts to architecture firms, are polling and surveying businesses to think about how do we catalyze development in that district that supports the Black-owned businesses that are there. And so we're looking at different development plans for that, that area, plans that could range as working with the state. You know, how do you look at that? So remember, the, the Historic West End is, is, is one of those black neighborhoods, minority neighborhoods that was cut up through highways. So the West End has one, two, three highways to cut through it. We actually are working with the city department of transportation and the state department of transportation. And we've applied for a grant with the department of transportation, the federal department of transportation to look at how we can um, mitigate highways that have cut off neighborhoods. And so we're looking at that in the West End. At some point, we may look at the Oakland area as another place because if you were to walk through there, you would feel it's not very safe. And what the community is also hoping for, I put a plug in, is that that streetcar gets expanded. So the streetcar ends before the Excelsior. So we want the streetcar to go all the way to 85. It's, close. it's, it's, it's close. just a few blocks away, right? It is just a few blocks. So you could walk. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's, again, one of those walks where you're like, would you really want to walk? Because you're going over a narrow bridge and 16 is underneath Over it, the highway, over yeah. Over the highway. So these are the things that we want to Where do you want to push it to? Where would you like to see it go? The community would like to see the streetcar go all the way to 85. Yep. So past uh, Allegra Westbrook's library, all the way to 85. And then you're really getting into the parts of the community. We're seeing at the Five Points area or where Johnson C. Smith University, a lot of development, a lot of residential change. If you go further up the corridor, you're going to find more residents that could use that transportation. And that's one of the things that I'm very concerned about, Charlotte, and I know Ledger writes quite a bit about transit, is that making sure that our transit really serves the people who need transit. What we have seen in the past- well, it's a conversation is, right now. It's like, what is, what is? I think Charlotte has a question to answer, which is, what's the point of transit? Is it to transport people or is it to create incentives for- real estate development, right? Not that those things are necessarily incompatible with Correct. each other, but what is the primary focus and purpose of it? What do you think about that? So what I think the as a community that's growing as quickly as we are, and we kind of, we're in a really strong position. For me, when I think about development in Charlotte, is I think we're in a position of where we can say, hey, we want to, we're excited that folks want to develop and we want to keep that development going. And we want to include everyone in our city in the development of our community. We we want to make as many opportunities and options possible for people to live in in the city, in the city versus living on the edges of the city. So that includes building affordable housing. That includes building affordable housing along transit so that people don't need cars to get to jobs. Because if you think about what happens if, if our low-income communities or our poorer communities are pushed to the outskirts and we don't have transit out there, now we have, you know, folks that need the resources on the outskirts and we don't have the infrastructure. Our infrastructure is in the center city. And it will not, I don't think it's going to deter development to um, ask and think about creating affordable housing or reducing the number of cars and all of that. So I think it's both. I think we're in a position that we could have both, again, because we are blessed to be growing rapidly. And great cities have great transportation and so great transit. And so I think that if we, it would be a huge missed opportunity if we don't think about, you know, one, making sure we have the transit and two, making sure that we have a plan for how do we develop affordable housing, mixed income housing along that transit. Otherwise, we're going to continue to build a city where we're creating a divide. We're not going to make headway on economic mobility, which is what we said we want to do. As a person, you are quite notable for being over 40. You are a, of the many awards and accolades you've received over the years, of course, one of the most important and rewarding, I'm sure, is the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Award. But it's only available to folks who are over the age of 40. And I wonder as you, so you are, you know, you're, you're not as young as you once were, who, who among us is. But I wonder as you look back over your life, what, what are the key lessons that you've learned or the, the best, whether it's the best advice you ever got or the stock advice you always give? Like, what do you think as, as someone who's over 40, you would say to a younger version of yourself or to someone who's looking to follow in your footsteps? So the best advice or mantra that I live, live by is if life gives you lemons, you know, make lemonade. So I call it lemons to lemonade. So it's about perspective. You know, because life is going to throw you a lot of curveballs, whether it's personal or in your career. And I think the most important element is being able to have a perspective into, you know, have a perspective that you're you're going to win, that you're successful. And so 
not being deterred by mistakes or by failures and always thinking about them as learning opportunities have been a guiding principle for me. It's something that I would share with young folks. And then for young folks from a financial perspective, I always suggest they buy real estate <laughs> in Charlotte. But really just being able to turn a negative situation into a positive, I think has, has served me well. And I think it's really helpful on the journey. Well, Charles, thanks so much for being with me today on the Charlotte Ledger podcast. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Steve. That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. And you can find out more about our 40 Over 40 awards at ledger40over40.com. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Queen City